and all of a sudden this badger like a literal badger a little american badger runs out of the willows next to the road it like runs at me like across the road then in the middle of the road straight at me like squared up with my handlebars and i was a little ways away from it still when this initiated and then it, it pretty quickly like turned around and started running straight down the road ahead of me and then peeled back off into the bushes and like i think for anybody else it'd be well i shouldn't say that but you know like when i tell that story without any context it's like well it's just a badger you know it's like that was matthew annabelle <clears throat> guys thank you so much for tuning in to another podcast um with the stoke podcast i hope you're all stoked um no matter where you are, if you're standing a fence, shoveling some dirt, or you know, if you're on your daily commute, um, this conversation was awesome. Matthew um, is the Pinions and Pines 500 mile winner. Uh, we go through, God, just his adversity through the weather was crazy. Um, he broke a crank. Uh, he also did the Colorado Trail last summer. Um, we talk about a spiritual experience he had on the bike. Um, and the intro kind of him talking about this badger was um, the beginning of that story. And you're probably wondering why it's called Finding Badger. Well, I think we're all kind of trying to find that that why to why we do these adventure sports, why we push our limits mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, so Matthew and I really kind of dove into that and kind of just had a great conversation about what we think is the reason why we push ourselves in the way we do. Uh, and if you're listening to this, you're probably, you probably have a similar experience with, you know, trying to find that edge, um, both mentally, physically, spiritually, I mean, whatever it is for you, but this was a great conversation, so I, I'm stoked for you guys to get into it. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Moxie Nutrition um, and their supplements and how they affect me. Um, they're a sponsor of the show, and they're a sponsor sponsor of Confluence 928, uh, and I have nothing but good things to say. You guys already know the gist. If this is your first episode, they have Phytolite. Um, it's an electrolyte that I use on the bike, uh, and it also has phytonutrients. So, um, it just gives your cells that much more fuel, um, and cells are the building blocks of us, you know? And so, uh, it's been amazing. I also top it off with Osmo carb. This is a non-flavor carbohydrate that you just can throw on top. So it gives it some extra calories and your body, your brain, your muscles, they use carbs. They need carbs. So um, this is something I top off my Phytolite with just, just to give my body a little more substance um, for these longer adventures. Um, Hydromag is something I use um, every day, um, not necessarily on the bike. You can, but it's another one of their supplements. And it is actually a magnesium supplement. And so magnesium absorbs salt. So when you're out there and you notice that your jersey is always drenched in white flakes, well, that's actually your salt. You probably need to be using Hydromag. 
This is helping me prevent cramps and I can sustain or sustain uh, a much higher output for much longer because of Hydromag. Um, they also have a bunch of other supplements. Guys, head to moxielife.com and check all those supplements out um, because our bodies, we need a bunch of electrolytes. We need magnesium. They have iron um, supplements that are super beneficial for people who, you know, maybe are moving to altitude or just have deficiency in iron. Um, they have a daily greens. So just check them out. And at checkout, make sure you put all caps STOKE podcast. That helps me out and it'll give you 15% off. Now, we'll cut the bullshit. Let's get back into it, guys. Um, we're here in Colorado, Kenzie and I, the family. We, um, we're going to be here until the end of August. Um, we're opening the trailer in Crested Butte, Colorado. So if you guys are in Colorado or living in Crested Butte or Gunnison, come say hi to the single speed coffee trailer. Um, we'll be at the four way stop and, uh, yeah, we're super stoked to be here. Just kind of escaping the heat for, for the summer and, um, just trying to live, live life. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Stokehouse coaching. Um, Justin Martin, um, he has been helping me, uh, build these awesome training plans and he works with me. So if I'm like, Hey dude, I want to run, um, I want to do an adventure. Uh, he's usually on top of it that minute. I say, Hey, we need to change some things up because ultimately your coach needs to know that he or she needs to plan accordingly to what your body is feeling. And you just don't want to make training, um, work, right. Then it wouldn't, wouldn't be fun. So huge shout out to Stokehouse coaching, go give him, um, a look, a follow. If you guys are new to cycling and are thinking about getting a coach, I highly recommend giving Stokehouse coaching just to, just a gaze. All right. But guys, let's get into it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I love it. I love you. Um, take a deep breath. Enjoy where you're at. And let's get into it with Matthew Annabelle and his experience with finding Badger or understanding Badger. Let's do it. Boom. Right. Welcome back to the Stoke Podcast. I got Matt Annabelle um, on today who just completed the 500 mile Pinions and Pines course and that barely touches the surface but welcome thanks Quinn stoked yeah. to be here thank you you're welcome um and so Matt let's just dive into it um we were we were just talking this is this is a coffee shop talk or a brewery talk you know where you and I are just gonna just bump some words and and thoughts into each other's head um but let's let's go into the pinions and pines a little bit and um First off, Dana puts on an amazing event. And yeah, how, how was your experience? Because there was a 300 mile. Um, and that's the one I was kind of eyeing. But uh -huh. you decided to do the 500 mile. Like, what were your thoughts coming into it? <laughs> that's funny. You asked that question. I'm glad you did. Um, so I blame 
my entrance in the 500 mile all on my friend, Karen Pocock, who <laughs> I met at the, uh, along with uh, a fellow named John Phelps. They're both close friends of mine now. But we all met on a Colorado trail race last summer, just out there. You know, we didn't know each other beforehand and just spent a lot of great time, great moments riding together out there. And so we kind of stayed connected after the race. And, and I think it was last fall, I, like Karen was tuned in to Pinions and Pines and, and heard there was going to be a 500 miler. And, and John and I didn't really know much about it. And Karen's just like, let's all do the Pinions and Pines next May. And, and you know, this is fall and we're all like – still reveling in our Colorado trail experiences and like, you know, there's not anything on the calendar, you know, but wanting to get out there. And so we're just like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's do the 500. Let's do the hard one. And we didn't know what that meant really then, but it kind of, they, they do the registration for, or this year they did anyway uh, for the race. I think it was in January. And so you had to kind of like start thinking a little bit more about it in January and then, um, you know, January to May is a long time. And, um, my buddy, John actually was on, was pretty far down the wait list. There was a wait list. There was like a lot of interest in January and signing up for it. And he didn't even get in on like sign up days. So we're like, Oh man. And, um, you know, as it got closer, he got in, like people dropped off the entrance list. And then, you know, by the time late April rolled around, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is about to get real. Like I didn't start riding. I ski a lot in the winter, like Nordic ski. And I didn't start riding other than a like trainer ride here or there until early April. It's like, man, I got to ride 500 miles <laughs> in a few weeks. And so, and we were all in that boat. Um, but I'm so glad um, I did. I don't know, like doing it again. I, I kind of jealous of the 300 mile experience and like the, like, um, cause you saw, we, we didn't have that many people participate in the 500. And so day one is like amazing. I love day one of these things. Cause you're around all these other people. You get like that real community feel and it's like, you know, cheering for each other or just saying hi to people. And, and then, you know, by the end of day one, it was just the, the, uh, 500 riders. We split off around, we were on the same course as the 300 riders until about little under hundred miles. And then we split off. And that night I was fortunate. I was riding with, uh, with Seth Holmes and, uh, Dylan Turner. We were in this little, um, you know, three musketeers charging the black Canyon trail in the dark. And, and that was, that was awesome. And I rode with Dylan on to little town of mayor, Arizona that night. And then I didn't see anybody, you know, I, I saw, um, I saw one of the racers really briefly, descending out of Bradshaw, the Bradshaw mountains the next day. But then, you know, I didn't really see anybody until the third day. again. so, um, yeah, it's like the 300 riders. I think you're, you're kind of in the mix. There's a lot more of them. You're like, maybe, you know, with sleep in there and stuff, you're like, you know, you're leapfrogging folks and, and, you know, getting, um, resupplies and everything you're seeing folks there and stuff like that so next time i might do the 300 just for that that experience but we'll see we'll see yeah and you know you're you're cutting off 200 miles of of backcountry that you know you you really have a shorter course on the 300 mile where like you were saying you're gonna bump into them even at 200 miles uh 
the fast guys, if they bonk or take a nap or sleep and, you know, you're, you're just going to see more people, which would be much more like enlightening to see people out there. I'm sure. Like I couldn't imagine being out there for 40, 50 hours and being alone, especially in the dark. Yeah. I, I like, I like seeing other people out there, like even in race mode. And if it's somebody you're like, kind of competing against or trying to stay ahead of them like i still love seeing them out there and and it's like i mean if i think of all the memories that i have um from the race that i'll that i'll hold on to most of them involve you know somebody else from the race being there um and whatever hijinks are happening uh just you get sleep deprived and everything and everybody acts a little different and it's like you know it's like it's pretty trippy some of these interactions <laughs> yeah i bet i bet yeah. um and the weather this year was absolutely oh, yeah. crazy I, I um i remember so i was signed up for opinions and pines in the same same boat as you i was put on a 60 plus wait list because i signed up i think two days after the, it opened thinking oh yeah oh, I'm, there's no problem i'm gonna get in um it'll it'll be cake and then you know, trying to sign up and it was like oh you're on a wait list with 70 other people and dana, right. dana texts me when i was in uh, monterey california for the sea otter and he's like hey dude you got in you got 48 hours to let me know and i initially was like dude screw it i'm in uh and uh i backed out i just had two crazy races back to back and then i'd have yeah. to prep for pinions and pines literally the next thursday so i was just like dana baby why uh, we, we're we're overboard dad's uh, crazy <laughs> too much i gotta and we, we were gonna move to colorado on the monday after pinions and pines so i was like would i even be available like to physically move us to colorado right. on monday so a lot of a lot of factors but i remember because i was signed up knowing where you guys were the storms because i was in cottonwood arizona that's where i live you know oh okay so i mean i was just seeing these storms roll in and i just was thinking about you guys the whole time like i cannot imagine being out there it 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 was did you get hit with some storms oh yeah yeah um day one there were some folks that got hit pretty hard um they were still like in the kasner you know like that kasner descent and then yeah. between there and cottonwood there was a storm that rolled through there in the afternoon. I was with, and, and a lot of folks were um, further west from there, from Cottonwood when that one came through. And and uh, I didn't get wet. There was a lot of wind, some lightning, so a few raindrops and stuff. But the first day, yeah, I felt kind of lucky. I would like dodge that one. And then um, I'm trying to think. We did end up going through, as we went over Mingus, mm -hmm. the big mountain there, um, there was like, some some signs that you know you could see where some of the early riders had to battle a little bit of death mud for a short stretch there and we yeah. did get into a i'm thinking back now we did get into like a short stretch i remember going through with dylan turner um just before sunset and this big descent we went through um, a pretty short patch of death mud but it was like eye-opening just maybe 100 yards on a steep hill and oh. it probably took us like 15 minutes to get through there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like ridiculous, like how long it takes to deal with it once it accumulates on your tires. But yeah. But then day two, day two was like when on everybody, like 
it just, you know, it was like judgment day out there. <laughs> like, uh, I, I'm not sure what the folks, I was like descending into mayor. I was pretty low elevation wise when it hit me. And actually I'd almost made it into mayor when it started raining and I got to mayor and, and there's a circle K there that was like a key resupply on both the way out and the way back at like miles 120 and one or in 200. And I was nearing mile 200 and it's raining on me. I'm like two miles from town. It's like, but not muddy yet. And not, I'm not soaked yet. I'm wearing my rain jacket and I get to this intersection. I'm like a couple hundred yards from the circle K and I turned the wrong way. And, uh, and then it just opened up. And as soon as it opened up, like the <laughs> fucking, the raindrops are so heavy. They start running. They, they literally were running my garment on my handlebars. Like it was like pushing, it was like touch screening it and doing stuff. And so that's useless. And then my phone is also on my handlebars and that got soaked in like, like your fingers don't work on it when your phone's all wet. And so I couldn't like look at any of my information to figure out what's the street I go down here. And I started riding in these little circles trying to figure it out. And I just got completely drenched, like, like soaked to the bone in like 10 minutes. Cause it was, it was like cats and dogs. Oh yeah. And uh, I finally, I finally found the awning. Like I found the, the circle K hit under the awning with this, uh, well, I was cold. I wanted to go inside, but there was a dude there that was like, uh, he was sketchy. Like <laughs> he was, I think he was a local and he, you know, he, coming over and, uh, and real interested in my bike and kind of cracking these odd jokes that, you know, I was a little, just kind of like, if I go inside, are we going to trade bikes right, right now? What's <laughs> like the thought in my head. And so I was hanging out outside, just kind of freezing. Um, and right then I get this text from Dana Ernst, the organizer. And he's, man, Dana was in such a, a pickle that day, man. Cause like, it's just, I mean, I haven't even mentioned the, what happened to the 300 riders. We could talk about that in a minute, but um but yeah, he, it, it, I was really grateful he texted me, but his text said like from miles 215 to 256 are probably going to be death mud. And those are like, you know, just a few miles down the road from me. And my, as I was coming out of the Bradshaws, my crank arm started to wiggle loose. Like it was like, what is that? And I'd heard some of it the day before and everything. I couldn't figure out what it was because I wasn't putting enough torque on it when I tested it. But, but by the time I came out of the Bradshaws, that beat it down enough that it could actually feel a wiggle. And so I get under this awning of the Circle K, get this text. Like, I'm soaked, I'm cold, my crank arm's screwed. Like, I don't know how I'm going to fix that or where. And then 40 miles of death mud? Like, <laughs> seriously? So I was just like, what do I do? So yeah, we got hit by the storm and, uh, the 300 riders were up high, a lot of them, like up on the, like Mogollon rim, like that elevation. And, um, they, I, I mean, I've seen pictures. I wasn't there for it, but I've seen deep hail in the pictures. My buddy, Tom posted this picture of this Jeep and camper, just like in feet of water next to the side of the road. Um, it was like, it was pretty nutty what they faced in it unfortunately for the 300 riders it really kind of detonated the race because it fell on that rain fell on um the arizona trail where they were supposed to traverse and um it just 
it was unrideable, unwalkable. They didn't want to damage that. So they rerouted folks around it. But depending on where people were, you know, that had different consequences, the reroute. And, um, and so everybody kind of, in the end of the day, had to sort of make their decision on what they were going to do. And, and also the 300 riders, I, I don't know this for sure, but I, like a lot of them, they pack lighter, you know, they're yeah. some of them anyway. So they may not have like the stuff to be in like overnighting in like a lot of wet and cold. Um, I know a lot of them plan to like ride through the night. So they're like, if they have a bivy, it's like, it's like a little emergency bivy. It's not really like yeah. for sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure that kind of factored into some people's decisions on, on what to do in the 300 the, and it also like the folks behind me in the 500 um a lot of them were up and maybe they were all near the prescott area or the bradshaws up high and and i i haven't heard a lot of their stories i know that dylan turner who was directly behind me was had to descend out of the mountains in that rainstorm and he just got you know he just got hammered the whole way wet cold two hours of it you know I was relatively lucky because I was down low. I got the shelter pretty quick, you know, yeah. refuel, deciding what to do. But. And like for people listening, like this isn't just a rain rainstorm. Like when I was standing at my house, it was, there were waterfalls coming off the roof. It was flooding my backyard. Hail was actually coming into our back patio. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just like, you know, a normal trickle or uh, a 20 minute, rain it was it was the real deal so i couldn't imagine being out there on a bike uh so and i mean how so you you got lucky um did any did anyone you know how to like have to back out from that because of the rain mm -hmm. um not enough well my friend karen was got kind of stuck in prescott behind because of it um it happened when she was, I don't know if she was on the trail when it happened or, or there was a resupply stop there in, in Prescott. And so, um, so she basically had to, had to stay there, um, until it cleared later that night, she rolled out like in the middle of the night and kind of did half the Bradshaws later that night. She had a pretty epic day the next day because of that. And then there, there were some folks on the trail that, um, in between Prescott and, and, um, and mayor, which is quite a distance and quite an elevation change that got hammered out there. There were several of them. And, uh, I don't know that, I mean, I don't know in detail their stories, so I won't butcher them, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure it affected everybody's sort of like, you know, am I going to continue? Am I gonna, um, should I change course here or whatever <laughs> their decision making? Yeah. It was like, it was, I mean, like I did the Colorado trail race last summer and, and we were in rain, like heavy thunderstorms. Like I think at least half of the days out there were there was some kind of thunderstorm involved with heavy rain that lasted a long time. And the other days, a lot of them were really gray and cold. And, um, but it, this storm was like something else. It was just like the amount of moisture that fell was really the thing. And, and the other big difference is like, the mud that comes in Arizona and that, and a lot of that landscape when it gets that much moisture is like 
nothing I've ever seen. <laughs> so. yeah, I mean, it, you can't soak it up, you know, I mean, Arizona just gets hot during the summer and it loses all of its moisture. And then when you pour three years worth of water onto it, you know, it has nowhere to go. Yeah. That's, it's really scary. I mean, the runoff, I mean, in Flagstaff, I, there were problems with, um, Mount Eldon, you know, it, it literally, when it dumps, it, it can't hold moisture. So it just comes right down the mountain into town causing rivers to run through the streets. You know, it's yeah. Rain oh, Arizona is, is, is the real deal. So I, yeah, it just blew me away that, I mean, people would even finish like just cause it was so, yeah. so brutal. And I also want to get into, you lost a crank arm. I did. <laughs> that yeah, did. So that's, that's amazing, you know, because you still finished and you went through water and losing a crank arm. And if you don't know what a crank arm is, you have two pedals and, um, you have two crank arms. So if you lose one, you lose your left or right foot for pedaling and you so how did you where were you and how did you get it how did you get it fixed yeah so i mean it was a pretty it was an epic 24 hours i like i knew it was coming loose coming in to mayor out of the bradshaws in the rain and and then there was like a decision point i had to make there um like do i continue because the there was there's mayor's a little town there's no bike shops in mayor the next the next bike shop I knew of was in uh, Camp Verde, which on the course, I think was 65-ish miles away. And with that text I mentioned from Dana, I mean, if that all the best information I had at that point was there might, 40 of those might be death mud. <laughs> yeah. Which, oh my God, if I knew the battle that was coming when I rolled out of mayor and what 40 miles of death mud would have actually meant like if we're actually 40 miles like oh i don't know if i would have left but uh but then i was like you know um my family like my my wife susan my kids like like making a major sacrifice for me to go away for a week you know i'm i'm not working not making money i'm not there to help um not you know being a father really that whole week i'm just off on this like elective adventure and so so it's like pretty quickly even though i'm uncomfortable like all these things are not my favor it's like you know i gotta i gotta do this for them is kind of the feeling that i had and that's the feeling that got me back on the bike and rolling out and the, the storm was still kind of raging on the lightning was gone but the it was raining hard and there was like a 40 mile an hour wind, which was actually helpful initially because it was a strong tailwind. <laughs> and so I just was like, you know, screw it. Like I'm going to get to Camp Verde. Like that might be the end of my race there, but I'm going to at least try to get there and try to get my bike fixed and, uh, and then see what happens. So the crank arm's still on the bike at that point, like, but as I kind of went on, I, you know, it's, it's kind of wiggling loose and it's, um, you know, it, it's a carbon crank that, um, I didn't understand how it was constructed or like what was going on, like how it was failing this way. But basically there's like an insert in the middle, like a post in the middle and then kind of a sheath around it. And the post in the middle had snapped kind of down somewhere down the length. And then the sheath was sort of slowly wiggling itself off. Like, like you get a crown on your tooth 
it was sort of like you could imagine that slowly coming loose. It was yep. that kind of effect. And so I was like, I don't want to lose this right side to stand on, like for downhills and things. I, I want that thing to stay on as long as possible. And so I started from like, you know, from leaving Mayer basically um, until the arm actually fell off the next day. I was just pedaling on the left side, really. I was kind of, I, I ride in flats, not uh, clipless. Mm. So I was using, I was pushing lightly on the right side just to bring the pedal back around. Um, and I had this, I mean, this was, I don't know why, I, like I had in my mind this whole time, okay, when it falls off, I'm just going to pedal on the left side, but you can't do that in flats. Like yeah. there's no way to pull the pedal back. <laughs> yeah. you're, like you're just screwed. And so for some reason, when it actually did come off the next day, it was like a surprise to me that, oh, I have a scooter now. I don't have a bike anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, there was like, it luckily the death mud didn't come until like 15 miles after it could have and then for quite a while it was sporadic um like you'd go through a patch that was you'd have to push in the weeds on the side and clean the tires so they keep rolling then you'd get to a rockier section and go and that was sporadic for about five miles and then we came to these creek crossings uh sycamore creek it was a big water crossing and i needed that water bad and um I filled up there um, with five liters. I think at that point it was like 30 miles from Camp Verde. And I was like, that's gotta be enough. And then we hit this, uh, it was a real tease, like uh, these improved gravel roads for a mile or two. And then just blam, like the worst, like capital death <laughs> I'd ever experienced. And I think, I ended up going like uh, two and a half miles over the course of, of three and a half hours until it dried enough that we could, you know, start pushing again and then start riding again. And that was, that was like just next level work. It was, you, you couldn't roll in the road. It was just, I mean, it would, within a, a wheel and a half revolution, you're, your tires bound against your frame with mud. And so you basically had to clean the bike the tire enough that it would roll, pick it up, put it in like weed patch along grass, like cat claw cactus is all mixed along the edge of the road and roll it. And the, that grass was kind of wet. And so it would kind of put moisture on the mud and you could actually roll without it accumulating until you hit like a real, another patch of mud on the side, even then you either had to pick it up, and carry it to the next and these are i mean at this point the bike's like 70 80 pounds you know with the mud on there yeah <laughs> it was just so much work and uh i was so thankful when it started drying enough and then but you know i got on the bike once it dried out enough and within a mile of that i just like stepped on the the right crank too hard or whatever and it just went straight to the ground and it it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't a huge shock to me. It wasn't like, like the worst moment in my life. Like I kind of prepared myself for it all through the previous day that this was probably going to happen at some point. So I, I don't remember even like getting upset. It was just like, I strapped it onto my rear rack and just started pushing. And, uh, I figured out afterwards, I was about 21 miles away from Camp Verde when that happened. It was getting hot and I'd used a lot of energy fighting the death mud 
um, in the hours previous. And I was down to like two liters of water out of that five. I started like that. I, I had five, like four miles before that. (laughs) It was that much of a fight. And I was realizing, man, I don't know if I got enough water to get there. And so I just went into rationing mode with the water, stopped eating because you eat, then, you know, your body needs more water. Um, so it had these things kind of like closing in on me a little bit. And, uh, it was a little scary, honestly, like, like, am I going to make it there? Um, or I, you know, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to like let myself get in huge trouble. If I got too hot or whatever, I would just hang out under a tree and like wait till it got cooler and then move later in the day. I wasn't going to like, you know, like make an emergency out of it, but um, but I did dip this nasty puddle, uh, just in case I had like a, these 48 ounce bottles on my front fork and I dipped one of them. I was like, all right, you know, and I had a filter, it would have ruined the filter, but like, I, I could have had more and, uh, and then just moving along, uh, one of the other racers, Seth Holmes passed me pretty early in that walk out of there. Um, and then Dylan Turner caught up with me and he was kind of battling his own, uh, crisis, I think with food and, uh, just like, like, this is really more than, you know, <laughs> than we all signed up for. And so we stuck together for a while and that really helped me. Like, um, you know, he was moving a little faster. It pushed me a little harder, but, um, but we were also fortunate. Some clouds started to form over us then and it kind of cooled down a little bit and, and I, I was with him pretty much until the big descent down into Camp Verde started. And then, you know, I was having a scooter, which actually worked surprisingly well. I just stand on the on the left pedal with both feet and kind of just lean the bike over and kind of hoon it down. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do as kids, you know, like, you know, you're supposed to walk your bike. You're like, well, I'm not going to walk it, but I'll scooter it. Yeah. Yeah. That's man. how you did it. Yeah, it was it was too bad when I could do that. Um, and uh i got crampy on that like the dehydration started to catch up and i thought about drinking the the nasty water ruining the filter whatever but um i it just that descent went pretty quick and i ended up in camp verde and then it was like oh like maybe i can move on and then uh and then the next chapter you know uh and you know i know you're close with with greg but uh, from, from, uh, Verde Valley bicycles, but, um, it, he ended up being like the savior. So I called, like, I called Camp Verde Bicycle, the one bike shop in town. And, and my, I mean, my question to them was like, I, I need a new crank. Like, do you guys have any cranks? And they're like, no, we don't stock any cranks. And so that was like, you know, that was kind of like at that moment, it was like, well, that's not going to be the solution. So I started calling, um, there's mobile bike shop like my mobile bike service things in Arizona. And I know on the Arizona trail race, they've been helpful to some of the riders before, but they're all located near the urban centers like Phoenix and um, maybe Flagstaff or some other areas. And, and, you know, they, you know, as soon as they heard I was in Camp Verde, like they're just like, no, that's out of the service area. Like the one of them, I think even one of them did say, they didn't know where it can't very well. <laughs> so I was like, all right, all right, well, this isn't looking too good. But then, 
So Greg, so um, on the first day of the ride, uh, the route went through Cottonwood and Verde Valley bicycles like pulled out all the stops and it, the course went right past their place and <clears throat> and they you know they were cooking burgers part of the day they were helping riders like tuning stuff up people had mechanicals in the first 60 some miles and and it was just kind of like this first little o- oasis along the course and it was pretty hot coming down into cottonwood too so i think people just really were stoked to sit in the shade there and wash their bikes and all that and uh and i had forgotten so coming down the steep Kasner descent i at the bottom, I went to adjust a bolt and realized I didn't have any tools. Like I'd left my multi-tool, my pump, um, my tire plugger. Like I had my basic repair kit, all the little fixings, but I didn't have the actual tools. And so I was like coming in there and like, man, I need to get new tools. And they, they sold me all new tools there. They didn't have a pump. And uh, is it Zach? Uh, one of the... Zach, I think it was like grabbed a pump off a rental bike and sold me that. Nice. <laughs> and, and I met Greg in that process, like that whole thing. And he was just like stoked, like that we were going through there. And, yep. and, and so like this two days later, you know, broken crank in, in Camp Verde, which is about, I think it's like 30 minutes or so from Cottonwood. Yeah. You'd, not even 20, 20 minute drive, 30 minute drive but it's not the same place. It's not. And so I, I'm like, I am going to call Greg cause he seemed like he had some good positive energy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's the guy that could make something happen here. And, uh, so I called him up and he, you know, I explained who I was and he, I think he, after I told him about the tool thing, like I was like, I'm the jackass that forgot all his tools. And he helped me out. <laughs> he's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's he like thought about it for a second. He's like, "Give me a couple minutes. I'm gonna problem solve here." Those were like his exact words. And I swear, like 90 seconds later, he calls me back. He's like, "All right, here's what's gonna happen. My wife Kelly is gonna drive a crank set down from Cottonwood to Camp Verde to the Camp Verde bicycle shop, like who he already talked to somehow in his 90 seconds, in addition to Kelly." <laughs> And you're going to scoot over there and they're going to put it on for you. And so, so I did that and, and, and they did too. And, um, it got more complicated because I told them the wrong bottom bracket. Um, and so fellow, uh, James from Camp Verde Bicycle ended up having to drive back up there to get, uh, the right bottom bracket. Like, like after I got to the shop and they started installing it, but, um, which was amazing. I mean, that they, all those people, there's, yeah. there was James there. There's a fellow named Eric that worked there. James's son, uh, little boy, I think he's nine named Alan. Um, they call him Alan the wrench in the shop there. <laughs> he was like playing cards with me, teaching me how to play war again with cards. And I'm talking with Eric, who's like a really great guy to talk to. We talked about everything under the sun. And so, like I'm not really taking care of what I need to like race wise. I'm not feeding myself. I'm not like, like tuning things up or whatever during all that time. But I was getting like full on like recharge from these, from these awesome people there. And it just was like magic, like the community that kind of rallies around this stuff and, 
and they didn't have to like i was asking for pretty unusual stuff and and they just kind of volunteered to sort it all out for me which was amazing so we can't thank them enough all those guys yeah greg zach um i mean james at verity valley bicycle company all those guys are they've they've taken my family into their arms because we haven't lived there very long and yeah they they would do anything for anyone yeah almost to a flaw like i i can't wait to go back down there sometime and just like you know uh i don't know make it up to them or whatever i don't know that i need to make it up to them i think they were kind of uh dope to help but like just kind of thank them maybe go on a ride with them you know (laughs) yeah I, I kind of think of them as friends now, like, uh, Oh yeah. You know, if they were ever this way, I'd do anything for them. So that's yeah. awesome. And so you yeah. ended up getting your crank fixed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, crank fixed. It took a little while because of me, because my like misidentification of my own bottom bracket yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I put in myself like a couple of weeks before, like ridiculous, but uh, but I wouldn't give it back like that hour that I hit that extra hour. I mean, yeah. maybe it, it might've sucked for James. So I feel bad about that, but, but I got to talk with Eric and I got to play cards with Alan. So that was pretty rad. Um, but after that I rolled out and I talked to, I, I called my wife. I was like, uh, and she had been following. I mean, my family was, they knew what was going on. They were kind of nervous. Like, am I going to make it out of there? I'd made it out of there a few hours before. Um, that would like, it was safe and everything. But then I, I called her to tell her I was, I was like going to move on up the road now. And, uh, and, um, you know, it's one of those, I don't know. It's kind of a personal moment, <laughs> maybe oversharing a little bit, like, but like to hear your little kids and your wife, uh, tell you you're their hero, like, for like fighting like that for through the day and then that you're going to move on. I mean, that's what, that's like all I heard in that conversation. And, uh, and it was, just, I mean, so now I got, I got the bike shop folks like bending over backwards, like kind of feeding my soul, like my family just like gives me this like kind of um, pat on the back and permission to keep going sort of thing. And then, uh, and then right after that, my, my friend, Karen, you know, the one whose fault all this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's great. She, she texted me and she had rolled into, into Camp Verde during this time. And she was, she was going to eat it at, uh, Oh, I can't remember the name of the Mexican restaurant there. Yeah. La Casita maybe. Yeah. 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 And that was like a block away. And I'm, at, in that moment I was like, Oh, I should really get going. Like I need to, this took a lot of time. I got to get out of here. Like there's still daylight. I don't want to get killed on the highway out of town. Like I should use the daylight. And I was like, no man, it's Karen. Like I got to go have dinner with Karen. Yeah. <laughs> so we went over there and we just had the night, like maybe we sat there for 45 minutes and just had a big feast. And it was like, you know, 70 degrees out. It'd been hot all day, sunset and everything. It was just like two warriors kind of like, like, uh, coming back together for a moment. Yeah, man, it was rad. And, uh, and then, you know, 
then I rolled out of town and it was dark, but you know, my, my heart was full, my stomach's full, like my soul is full. And I just felt, and I hadn't pedaled. I hadn't freaking pedaled in 24 hours. And I was so stoked to pedal. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I pedaled through the night that night. I just, I, I went, that was one of my goals going into the event actually was at some point to pedal through the night to like, without sleeping to see what that was like. And, um, and it ended up being that night and I suffered for it like after, but, um, but I don't know, that was like that, that whole day is the part of the race ride that is going to stick with me. Like everything after it, there were cool moments after it too, but there was some pain fighting through like the gratitude kind of starts to slip a little bit. And I was just kind of like battling to the finish after that. But that day was a gift, man. And I, I remember telling people afterwards that was like, you know, day one is awesome, fun people, community everywhere. Like, but that day was just, you know, I may never have another day in my life, like adventuring that, is as rad as that day turned out to be. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't rad for like 90% of it, but then it was so rad that it just like totally made up parked it, it, you know? That's yeah. <laughs> and like, it's such like, it's almost like a hidden metaphor, you know, like sometimes, you know, like life could just be so hard and discouraging and you just don't know how you're going to get through it. And there's that 10%, whatever, happens that's like that was why i had to go through so much turmoil and suffering you know and and am i wrong but did it completely change the rest of your race and the rest of your day for the better yeah oh no you're you're dead on i mean and that's why i experienced some similar things out on the colorado trail race in um last summer and I mean, that is one of the reasons, and there are several reasons why I enjoy the race mode so much in these things is that the trail, the weather, the whatever, the circumstances can kind of conspire and take you so low. Like, like you're questioning why you're out there. You're questioning like, you know, your physical state, your mental state sometimes even. And then, but, um, and the few experiences I've had, and it doesn't always work out this way. Like, like there are mechanicals that you can't move on with. Like you could break a wheel, like you're not moving on with that. You could not with a pack bike. Um, you could, my buddy, John was riding with a, um, one of those pinion gearbox bikes with the belt drives and the gearbox like imploded. And there's no way to get that fixed. Like, and, and there, there's like, there's, all sorts of mechanicals that can take you out. There's all kinds of injuries that can take you out. Um, but then there's like this, this like fuzzy area, like what I was in with the crank, like, like this, this is like a legit reason to stop <laughs> like, like safety wise, whatever, you know, uh, like no one's gonna hold it against me. If I stop with a broken crank, my family will forgive me, whatever my, you know, whatever I'd be worried about with, with that but um but like i kind of was 
I, I've learned, I've been conditioned a little bit through these past experiences that if you push through, if you can keep going, if you push through it, if you like, maybe that means you got to rest first, sleep on it or whatever. But if you can keep going, like there's all, the rebound off of it, the positive rebound is like the best thing, one of the best things you'll ever experience in your life, like super yeah. powerful. And, and a lot of times those moments have to do with like the rebound, the energy for that comes from maybe not you, um, might come from something out on the trail, like a gift of nature might come from, you know, one of the other racers might come from like some trail angel or whatever. And it's amazing how little it takes when you're low, like, like a positive input from any of those sources. It's just like, like the other way. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, kind of, we discussed earlier about your Colorado trail experience and the Colorado trail I'm born and raised here. Trails around here are no joke. I'm, I've been living in Arizona. Um, so the Colorado trail race is amazing because of its, um, it's back country. You know, you're, when you climb, you're not just climbing a hill, you're climbing a mountain, then you're traversing a ridge and then you're descending down sometimes, you know, really technical, sketchy downhills and you have a slope to your left, you know, or, um, it could be very dangerous, but you discussed earlier of uh, an experience, you know, that you've almost a spiritual experience that you had on the Colorado trail. And I would love to kind of dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So last summer I did the Colorado trail race. Um, It was actually my first bike packing race ever. Um, And I, I was familiar with parts of the Colorado trail. I lived in the Denver area for a number of years and, I'd say I'd ridden most of the first 150 miles in pieces before just on day rides and things. And then, um, some things near the other end, near the Durango end as well. There was a whole lot in the middle. I didn't know. Um, and I'd never, you know, I didn't know anyone doing the race at that time. And I didn't, uh, I'd been doing, I, I had a number of like three, four day tours under my belt, not on the Colorado trail, but in pretty, rough like Colorado high country stuff similar but not nearly as long or hard and so there was a lot of new for me doing that race like um it was my first real exposure to the to the broader bikepacking community in an event type thing and like I immediately fell in love with it because of that the the community we rolled out at 4 a.m um so you're not like you know I don't know anybody it's dark you're saying hello to people, but you can't even see their face or whatever. So you don't know who you're meeting at that stage. Um, so it's kind of weird that way. Like, but as the sun comes up and you know, the day rolls on, I was around a lot of riders for the first day. There was different places that people would stop to get water. There's a place called the stage stop saloon late that day where a lot of people ended up together. And I got to really, meet a few of them and and several of them like I would end up being around later in the race um um is the and I mean there were some amazing I got I've got so many stories from that race but I think the one that was most impactful I know the one that was most impactful happened on day four for me which I'd I'd woken up that morning I'd had a really big push from 
from Buena Vista the day before to um, this place just short of uh, it's, it's a pretty storied section called Sergeant's Mesa. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of in the middle of the course. I can't remember exactly the mileage, but it's 20 some miles, 20, 21 miles of nasty kind of motor motorbike torn, like really rocky, not super rideable trail. Um, way more rideable than the death mud was <laughs> in pinions and pines. But, uh, but yeah, you're, you're pretty far into the race. You're tired, a lot of rocks, a lot of steep hills in there, super steep, some not super long, but super steep. And, um, and I woke up that morning feeling sick. Like I slept for two hours. I'd woken up chilled. My throat was sore. I was coughing up these little white projectiles and, and, you know, my legs felt like crap. It kind of achy. Like, I'm like, Oh no, I'm sick. And like, not only am I sick, but my route out of here is over Sergeant's Mesa. Like I hadn't done any of it yet. And, uh, it was like scary. <laughs> like, what am I going to do now? And so I just started going and, and it, I mean, it sucked like the next six, eight hours, just, it got hot after being cold. You know, I'm just really low energies, same symptoms, everything. Um, I rolled out of there finally. I think it maybe took me seven or eight hours to do that section. At the end, you get shot down a pretty flowy single track down onto some road, which is fast. And there was a creek there that I was planning to stop at. It's called Lujan Creek. And in my head this whole time, I'm like, oh, I can just make it to Lujan Creek. My feet were all torn up from being wet and stuff. I was like, I can dry out my feet, kind of wash them off. Like I can get water. I'll sit in the shade and I get down there and it's a, it's a little trickle running through a, a sage metal, like blasted in the sun with cows wandering all over it. <laughs> like, oh no! And uh, I've gotten, since then I've gotten used to like drinking cow shit, filtered cow shit water. But in that moment it was like, ah, oh, this is going to make me sicker. So, but it was not that bad. Like in hindsight, like some of the water I just drank in Arizona was way worse than this, but, <laughs> but it just like, you know, it's adding up, like feeling sick, like just the trail's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not being forgiving or whatever. Uh, it's just kind of tearing me down. And, and I'm, I, I continue on and I knew the Lagarita detour is coming, which is like a 55 mile road detour around wilderness area, pretty fast. Cause you're on roads, even though there's some pretty good climbs in there to passes. Um, but I still had 14 miles of like trail before, before I got there. And, and I'm coming off 20 miles of, of Sergeant's Mesa that took six, eight hours. I'm like that 14 miles is going to take me forever, but it ended up being really fast, like flowy and stuff. And so in my head, I'm like, stuff starting to turn around a little bit like like oh that was better than i thought it was this is like the first good thing that's happened to me all day and i i get to the lagarita detour in like an hour and a half like it, it was like oh you know like um and i'm looking at the time of day and where i thought i needed to get that night to be able to safely navigate the next day's section which is this super high elevation exposed coney cataract section it's Coney Summit Cataract Ridge, which is like 30 some miles above 12,000 feet up to th- over 13 parts of it. Damn. And I was terrified of the weather on that. And so I'm like, I got to get this 
certain point by a certain time, or I won't have time to safely do that tomorrow. And it was like around this time I'd gotten through the, the trailer section and I get on the Lagarita detour on the roads and I'm like, maybe I could make it. And then I'm like reevaluating my symptoms and I'm like, you know, I don't feel any sicker. My legs actually felt better. I wasn't achy anymore. I didn't have any more of those white projectiles, whatever. I still don't know what those were. Um, and I was like, maybe my throat's not like sick sore. It's like burnt sore from, and that was what it was in hindsight. Like your mouth gets all torn up, like from eating the sweets and, you know, you're not moving your tongue around when you're in race mode. So you're, you're not cleaning your mouth. Yeah. And so the soreness was all that I, I figured out later, but I didn't know that then. But in my head, it's like starting to come around. Like maybe I am not going to have to drop out of this thing. Maybe I can continue. And, um, and I started riding up this pass called Los Pinos pass it's on the detour and I'm just riding along. I'm kind of like thinking these thoughts on and off. Like you're constantly recalculating out there on these things, like where, where you think you can get what you need, what you should be doing. And I'm like recalculating, recalculating like your, like your little gadgets on your handlebar. <laughs> it's the same thing in your head. And, uh, and all of a sudden this badger, like a literal badger, a little American badger runs out of the willows next to the road. It like runs at me, like across the road, then in the middle of the road, straight at me, like squared up with my handlebars. And I was a little ways away from it still when this initiated. And then it, it pretty quickly like turned around and started running straight down the road ahead of me and then peeled back off into the bushes. And like, I think for anybody else it'd be well i shouldn't say that but you know like when i tell that story without any context it's like well it's just a badger you know it's like a marmot ran out whatever whatever but but the the backstory on it like i for years i've called my my father um who has advanced lung cancer and is like um a couple years now past his prognosed expiration date by the doctors. I've called him a crusty old badger. And for years I've called my son, my who's now four years old. He was, he was four then too. Uh, badgy, like baby yeah. badger. I call And like a week before the race, there was some news article in the local paper here where somebody local had been having an issue with badgers on their property. And we were talking about that at dinner and I was like, man, I'd love to see a badger someday. And that was like a week before the race, you know? So when I see the badger and I'm in this mode of like, like racing, I'd never seen one before ever in the wild. And, uh, it just like landed on me, like, it, like, uh, like lightning kind of, it was like, it was like, like a message, you know, like, uh, I don't know, a spiritual thing really. And it was like, the message was persist and I didn't think about it or anything. It just was like, you need to go. And it was like ancestral kind of feeling to it. Family, like those family attachments and just really powerful. And I, I, I cried. I like cried the rest of the way up Los Pinos paths. And it was like, you know, from my family that I was missing, like, and feeling like this was a message from them somehow. 
um, for my fear. I was still like terrified of the next day and the weather that was supposedly coming and all this. And it, it was just like really powerful spiritual moment. And it's like in the, we're talking about highs and lows, like just instant, bam. Like I knew what I had to do. I was terrified to do it, but there was no question that I was going to go on at that point. And, um, I've been, I've been weighing all day. Like as you, as you go through that Lagarita detour, you get to eventually get to the top of this pass called Slumbellion pass. And it's at that point where you can, the, the course goes left there if you're going south towards Durango. Um, but it's also, if you turn right, it's a fast descent down to Lake city. Like the first town that I've seen in days was right there. Like, you know, 20 minutes of fast descending down the hill. And so I've been thinking all day, like, do I, what do I do when I get there? Do I go, do I go left or do I go right? <laughs> and, uh, and after I saw the badger, like I got up there at like 1120 at, at night or 1130, my cutoff for getting there for moving on the next day, internal cutoff was midnight. So I beat that and I just put on all my layers and I turned left and I descended like full send, like for the, the course. And, um, and it was like, because of the badger, you know, <laughs> that's so crazy. And now if the badger just was like out walking around and gave you no time of day, I would be like, yeah, yeah you know, that's a cool story. But I mean, the badger didn't really do anything, but the badger came out and, and ran right towards you and got your attention and probably scared the shit out of you. Those badgers. I mean, they're, they're tough, you know, I would definitely like, all yeah. right, I'm either yeah. running, you know, and right. then to turn, to turn back and go, and did it just go straight down the trail where you were going to go? It went, yeah, it went a good hundred yards, like right down the middle of the road. I was on a road. So it was yeah. a wide road here. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it did all that. Um, I think if I had just even seen it wandering around in a field, I probably would have interpreted it the same way. <laughs> yeah, totally. but, but it did, it did, uh, it did do all those things. Yeah. So, yeah. That is crazy. Like, yeah. I described it as like being held I thought a lot about it. I, I wanted to write about it afterwards. I did write about it afterwards. And, and I, the words I landed on for the feeling that I had when I saw it were uh, like earth and time held me in the warmest of blankets for the briefest of moments is what it felt like. Just wow. like galvanizing, you know? So, and I, I think about that. I, I think about that every day since that race uh, less than a year ago now, but there's not a day that doesn't go by where I don't think about that. And, and I've had other, I, I mean, it's a spiritual experience for me, really. I'm not a religious person, but, um, but I am spiritual in my own way. And I've had a number of experiences um, that I put on that level in my life and been many years since I had one. And it was really a gift and a gift of the trail um, gift of nature gift of the race, maybe, I don't know, but, um, I mean, how can you not want more of that? <laughs> you well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's like, it, it, what it's what makes 
events or these personal ventures or adventures and going out into the unknown and into the backcountry. That's a big reason why I think a lot of people keep doing it is for this unspoken connection, like what you were talking about, like something you can't really describe it. You can't, you can't even tell the story in the right contexts. You know, it's like these crazy experiences that you can only, only live with. You you gotta live it. (laughs) You gotta go to live it. Yeah. yeah, The thing is, you'll never know unless you get, you get out there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think just people are just, you know, becoming so comfortable in this, um, I hate to call it a zoo, but a zoo, you know, where we have cars. Um, I was listening to a podcast earlier, but we're in these cars. They make it easy to transport. Um, we have these cell phones, which makes it easy to navigate. And with all these tools, we're losing connection to, yeah. to nature. You know, like we had to bend over and move throughout our landscape to scavenge and to get food. And we had to um, look at the sun and the stars and the weather to navigate through our, our surface, yeah. you know? And so um, these adventures are amazing. Yeah. We have the tools, right? Like we have a GPS that kind of helps us along the way, but man, in the rainstorm, you didn't have a GPS. You had to truly figure it out. And, and the connection you get with the forces um, that you're describing, you just, that, that's, that's what it is to be human. Right. I, Right. And yeah. we are such a, as a species, we're so much more powerful than we like, than we test ourselves to be these days. Like you're saying, we have all these aids that's, I mean, they soften us really. And they, they make us, um, uh, for lack of a better word on the tip of my tongue, like weaker, like as, as beings able to navigate nature, like, um adversity all those sorts of things and so so what these races are um and it doesn't have to be a race but like these these experiences are and the race does accentuate this it's like it lets you kind of stretch yourself like it's like the old muscle that isn't used ever and gets atrophy <laughs> and all bound up i mean the race is like a big big ass stretch for that like kind of reestablishing like the full range of motion in your mind and the, and your body, the way you use your body. And, um, and I love that about it. Like, and I just, I feel like I'm just the tip of it. Like I've only just started this and I see some of the other racers who I really look up to that have been doing it for years. And and you see how much further they can push in some of these areas when it comes to discomfort and sleep and, um, and like navigating the mental stuff that you go through out there. Like, like I see them so much further down the path to understanding themselves and, um, and their true like capacities that, you know, just want to, you know, being 48, I don't know how far I'll get to go (laughs) down that road with body parts and things, but, uh, but it's, it's really, I'm really grateful to be able to do it. And it, it was really a privilege like not everybody can do this stuff. It's like physically very demanding. It's, um, and you know, just depending on where people are with their health and things like that's one barrier, but there's also economic barriers to it. It's pretty expensive. 
sport to pursue just in terms of the amount of time it takes. And also, um, you can, yes, you can do it on like on the cheap with bike stuff and things, but in 500 mile races, like if you're, if you don't have fresh parts and things like things are going to break and you're going to have a different experience out there. So it is costly. Like even for the people doing it on a shoestring, it's, it's, it's costly and it's a privilege. And so, um, I'm really grateful that I'm able to for now and, uh, keep doing it as long as I can. <laughs> yeah. That's all we can yeah. do. We're not, I, I'm, I feel the same way, you know, just, um, just got out of college yeah. and for some reason I can't stop adventuring on my two wheels. Like it's no, like, don't stop, man. No, I won't. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> it's such an addiction. Um, but I think, I think what it is, is it's, it's a testing of, of, um, of just my comfort. You know, I think I wake up to an alarm. I, I don't wake up to the sun. I, you know, it's like, it's a comfortable life. Um, yeah. so I think every time I get out onto the bike, I'm just trying to push that comfort zone, trying to get out of it, trying to test myself. And even if it's, you know, a 30 to a 80 mile ride, you still kind of get that same, like, Oh shit, where's my next, oh, yeah. you know? And, um, right. it's, it's not like those three or four day events, but still, um, just getting out even for a 10 mile ride, if you're just starting, you know, it could be such an adventure to, and it's yeah. scary, you know, if you don't know what it's like to be in the back country, like four or five years ago, I was scared to hit some of this single track because I didn't know where it would go, you know, but now uh -huh. just with time, I've gotten dis uncomfortable enough to where now my comfort zone is pretty far. You know, I really got to yeah. get out there to be like, Hmm, I got three hours to get back before the sun gets down and I know I'm fit enough to get back, but you know, I yeah, think yeah. it's so important, whether it's biking or running or climbing or, you know, whatever that is, it's just like to get outside and to, to touch the dirt yeah. or rock or whatever you're, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a good way to just check in with, with this crazy life force, you know, like, yeah. And when it starts, yeah. running, right. Like you're scared of mother nature. When you're inside, you're like, whoa, it's so cool. Let's watch a movie on Netflix. What movie? Any movie <laughs> in the world. We got it all, you know, but when uh, you're up there, you're like, shit. Yeah. Force to be reckoned with. That thing, I'm scared of it, you know, and how am I going to stay dry? How am I going to stay warm? Where am I going to get shelter? Like, you just, you get totally. in that primal, primal zone of like cavemen, you know, like, oh, shit. Yeah. How are we going to get through this, you know? So it's cool. Like just hearing your story with the crank and, and community and trusting the process, you know, like totally. getting to camp Verde and getting your cranks fixed to finish checking in with your family, the badger, <laughs> yeah. the badger was a big part of pinions and pines. Um, oh, totally. Right. Like, yeah, no, uh, I mean, you don't even know. I, uh, Oh, I told you, I, I think about that every day, but I had a head badge made for my bike of that moment. Um, I could send you a picture of it. It's like, uh, it is the badger in the mode that I saw it kind of like squared off on me and, and just the word persist on it. And, um, and my, my bike didn't have a name going into that race, which I'd had the bike for like six years. And 
I don't usually name my bikes. I hadn't at that point, but uh, the bike is now Badger. So, <laughs> but yeah, something you said though, it reminded me. Uh, yeah, did these. So I make it. I'm maybe making it sound like uh, you know, it's all like unicorns and and fart jokes at the end of these things, like all happy endings, but. I mean, there's also, it doesn't always turn out that way. Like there are, and I've been fortunate that like I've had good experiences that have ended well um, so far out there, but, but there, even with that, there's, they take a toll. There's a toll. Uh, there's a physical toll. And I think other, maybe other people you've talked about may touched on this, but like, there's also kind of a mental toll, like coming back to reality from some of these things. And um and I'm kind of navigating that right now off. It's like 10 days out from pinions and pines, but, um, you know, there are hard things about like, like kind of surfing that wave and then coming back to reality <laughs> yeah. and like, like, no, like physically when you go into sleep deprivation stuff, like nerve issues kind of come to the forefront i let this time i was lucky i didn't have any hand nerve issues coming back from the colorado trail race i didn't feel some of my fingertips for like six months after that and i've cut sorted out some of the things that caused that maybe maybe we'll find out um, um toes lost feeling in toes uh the general fatigue especially being you know, like nearing 50 there's some people use a formula like every hour of lost sleep in one of these multi days is like, you got to give yourself a day of recovery for every hour lost because you're not, you're not, you're really breaking yourself down through these. And, and coming off the Colorado trail, I would say that that was pretty accurate. Like it took me a solid three weeks before I even felt remotely normal um, in my head, in my, with my sleep schedule with uh some of the just general like feeling good on the bike again like i wanted to ride like my legs could um to the degree i like at the level that i wanted anyway and so and then there's like this kind of depression sometimes too and i've had that a little bit after opinions and and i don't know i mean i think some of that's chemical and it's like uh, for me it's like little D depression. It's not like crisis level depression, but it's like, you know, just like, man, I gotta, I gotta snap out of this. Like I gotta, I gotta be a dad again. I gotta, I gotta, which I love being a dad. <laughs> I gotta be a husband. I love being a husband. I, I gotta work. I love my job. I love what I do. Um, but it's still hard to flip the switch. So, um, that's part of it. Like, and I don't want to sugarcoat that. Like, um, there's a price maybe <laughs> to have that much fun. Thank you for actually sharing that. You know, um, a lot of people, I don't think, um, go into it. Maybe, maybe it's a sense of they, they're the only ones. So they don't want to share certain things like that, like depression. Cause it's, that's a vulnerable, um, topic to say, Hey, I'm depressed. Um, which I, I thank you for telling me, um, because I think it's super important to actually share that. Um, and I know it's not something that's, um, a crisis issue that's, you know, mm -hmm. a diagnosis, but I think you think it stems from maybe just, um, 
this, I, I don't want to say stimulus because that kind of narrows it or, or broadens it, but do you think it's because um, of just this hyperdrive of problem solving and being completely immersed with um, being alone and being the highest high you could possibly be in the lowest low. So do you think it kind of comes from once you are in normal life in a bed and the, these normal comforts that we get used to, like, what do you think it is? Yeah, I don't know. And I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on it. So I don't want to like uh, mislead anyone, but like in terms of what I feel, and I can tell you about that, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, part of it is like you're running on adrenaline you're like for so long like there's there's literally for me anyway in the two races that i've done like uh it's almost like your body knows when you're when you're nearing the finish um physically things start to change uh i've had this happen in both of them where in the last day my legs swell up like balloon and a lot of racers that like you're, you're upright, you're like 20 plus hours a day, you're pedaling or walking or whatever. It's like pushing fluid down into your lower extremities and your, your hands to, um, taking a beating on the bars. And then they're also kind of low within the context of your whole body. And, and, uh, but like, for some reason, like that doesn't happen to me or hasn't happened to me, like in days one, two, three, four or five or whatever it is, it's like the last day whatever the last day and the last day was different in the Colorado trail race. That was day six and change for me in the opinions and pines. It was four and change, but the physical reaction was the same to the last day. And I, I slept similar schedules in both like they're comparable efforts maybe, but just one was shorter and the other was longer. But, and then the next day after is like, I can even have imagined myself riding a bike, but yeah. I do feel like if I was out there and knew I had another hundred miles to go, like my mod my body wouldn't have shifted into balloon mode, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think there's some chemical things kind of feeding that, like your brain knows it's nearing the finish and, and, um, and some triggers start to go off and, and you start to like go into recovery mode. Maybe I think that's some of that's all recovery. There's also kind of like, there's a fog with the brain stuff. Um, when you're sleep deprived, when you're, you haven't been recovering your body for, you know, you're not sleeping enough to recover between these efforts every day. You like, you come out of them pretty, or I do pretty foggy, like not thinking straight. Um, out of, coming out of the Colorado trail, I say I had this thing where I felt like I was invincible for 10 days after like, like I could have walked through walls. It felt like it felt kind of good. Like, but not good or healthy, you know, it was just this it was this fog and, and then that fades and, and there's a little bit of like, uh, Hefe Branham, I was texting with him after the Colorado trail race and, and he said, enjoy the glow. Um, after I remember he used that word glow and it was kind of like a glow for those 10 days. It was like, man, I did it. I accomplished my goal. Like, I had a rad time out there, the badger, you know, all the and, and new friends and and this community I didn't know I was missing that I have to have be part of my life now. Like all those great things, it was real glow. And then uh, 
then reality comes home to roost. And, uh, you know, the, that, that fog is kind of like holding you back a little from moving on, like going back to doing your work the way you should doing, uh, doing family stuff the way you should be in present, you know, in, in your regular life or my regular life. So, um, so I think that's where the depression kind of comes from for me is like, like you can't just say, all right, I'm waking up tomorrow and I'm going to, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and, and it's going to snap me back into normal. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of, kind of wait it out and, and consciously navigate it, like do things that aren't feeding it and, and are, are moving you in the right direction, which is what I'm doing right now. So totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, you think it's just like a God, I, cause I'm just curious. Cause there's going to be a day I think I'm going to do yeah. this and, um, good. Yeah. And I just, you know, want to kind of understand this, um, glow slash, um, <laughs> uh, glow slash low. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, so it's not only physical, it's mental. And do you think, sorry, I'm just trying to pick your brain. Do you think it's, uh, we're used to, you know, coming and doing our everyday tasks and finding joy in those. Um, and not saying that everyday tasks are minuscule, but you kind of relate it to an adrenaline rush for four to six days. Um, you know, there, is it kind of like a, a low you would get if you took an opiate, like, you know, like there's, there's studies yeah. where you know, if you take you know, Molly or ecstasy, uh, yeah, there's just this dopamine release. Um, yeah. Release all that dopamine. You just, you, you don't have it anymore until it builds back up. It could be, it could be, I don't have any experience <laughs> with that, with yeah. the, that, but, um, yeah, I mean, it could be, it's, it is like an addictive feeling and that, that you've got to let go of pretty mm -hmm. quick after like you've taken time off. I have, I keep saying you, this is really just my experience I've been talking about and that's all I can really I speak to. Relates, but, I think it relates to a lot of people though. So, so yeah, I think there's mental parts of it. There's physical parts of it, chemical stuff that's happening with your body as it's, is it's processing and then and i think you just gotta acknowledge that that might happen yeah. um like for someone that's gonna take it on and and give yourself some time like don't set unrealistic expectations for right after the race <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or even in the weeks after the race like kind of yeah you gotta go back to being a dad you gotta go back to being a husband you gotta go back to work all those things but maybe don't take on a whole lot of other extracurriculars. And, and I was thinking about with you, like, uh, like being a, like a, you know, fast racer with a lot of races on your schedule. Um, like you probably want to think about that, like making sure when you pick one of these that you don't have, um, a bunch of other races that are going to follow it up right away that, that you're either going to feel terrible at or, <laughs> yeah, totally. or, yeah three weeks almost or to a month. 
Yeah, it could be. And you're a lot younger than me. So, it, I mean, it could be that it's much faster. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate you sharing that. I think um, we've kind of touched on the after effects, but not as broadly um, or not as I, I not broadly, but um, as specific as kind of, you know, some mental issues that kind of follow uh, big races like that. So, yeah, thank you. Because um, there, there's got to be more conversations on that um, because a lot of, a lot of people might pursue these adventure sports maybe because of an underlying mental issue. Um, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. Like if, That's true. if you are fighting with depression or anxiety, um, the drug of choice is adrenaline through endurance sports. You see it a lot. You know, you see some of these top athletes who have had past issues with mental health. Um, and, you know, they have to not just focus on continually to uh, race and train, you know, to kind of uh, quiet down that, um, that, that noise in, in the head, right. you know? Um, yeah. So I think with, with, endurance sports and especially with men i think it's important that we talk about this and with women too but men on on more are more susceptible to not communicating these issues and not that i'm saying you have depression right but for anyone who's listening it's no important. no i yeah yeah it's important yeah, no, to talk about this and it's completely normal and help is is amazing you know to, to talk to someone about it I totally agree. Like, I think everybody should talk about it that, I mean, everybody's situation is different and there are reasons people might not want to talk about it, but, um, that's talking about it is one way of navigating it in a healthy way. So, yeah. um, yeah. And yeah, there are, you don't have, you can do these things. You can, you can go these places and see these things without going so far down that road too. like of, it might take you to like the, the race mode that leads to body damage and um, brain damage, <laughs> if you will, uh, yeah. emotional damage. Uh, like you can sleep out there. Like you can go into tour mode. You can like, and I've done a lot of tours and I come home and I feel recharged and I don't feel any of this. Like it's, it's really the kind of the race mode, the sleep deprivation, the, the riding, like riding, riding, just keeping going. Uh, that takes that takes me there um, and I think other folks too but um, I don't know I get so much out of that like the return that I've gotten so far out of it is like outweighs the the few weeks of battling after um, whatever it is so and you know it's always like well what can I do better next time that maybe I won't have to face such challenges afterwards and and I feel like I've addressed some of that with my hands that's helped um i haven't really figured out the like this the sleep thing like yeah i get so messed up like from the first day this happened to me in both the races i've done i had a, i get a migraine on the first day in the afternoon and um and it doesn't happen again during the race but it's like a passage i kind of have to go through when i'm riding like long days um and then 
the first night I won't sleep well. Like I'll, I'll hardly be able to sleep. And then after that, my metabolism is full bore. Like when I go to sleep and I'll wake up, even if it's just an hour later, I'll wake up drenched and sweat. Like even if I'm laying on top of the sleeping bag, <laughs> whatever. And, uh, and I don't have any control over any of those things. And yeah. it's like infuriating, but, uh, yeah, you, it, this, the lack of sleep and the lack of rest recovery while you're out there does all these things. So it's responsible for all these things. Um, it's not the nature's not responsible for it. Uh, <laughs> the other racers aren't, it's just, it's, it's race mode. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, one, I think it's so beautiful that I, I think even the best ultra distance runners or bikepackers who on the outside look like they've got it figured out are still doing what you, you just said still figuring out their sleep, still figuring out their nutrition, their recovery. You know, it's, I think it's a never, there's, there's no insight. There's no, there's no ticket. It's like you, you're, you're only trying to do this thing more efficient and better. And so you can be more recovered when you're home. Um, and also there's, there's a breed of people who yes, want a tour and that's great. And I, I totally agree with you. You don't have to go into this deep deprivation, this deep race mode, but there's people like you and I, that I think I need to do it once a year, you know, and, and be, be satisfied, but I need it. It's like this, um, it's this need of discovering more, um, about what I can do. I'm sure you're the same, you know, it's like, how far can my physical body go? And then when my physical body goes, where does my mind go? And then, yeah. What, what, what do I actually think about all the time? You know, cause I think you get into the subconscious and you get into areas of the mind that you, you just don't access on a day-to-day basis. Cause we're so distracted, you know, and we go back to yeah. the comforts. We're so distracted, pick up a phone and scroll through Instagram and judge and like, and comment, <laughs> you know? And yeah. then, uh, so we yeah. don't have time to reflect, you know, we're not Buddhist right. monks doing that all day, you know, but yeah. So, Oh man. I got to tell you, that reminds me, sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 no. Yeah. What's up? Well, so I, I don't like when I, it's another difference between for me, for between touring mode and racing mode. Like I've gone out on tours where I've like explored every crevice of my mind, like all the things I, and I even day rides, like, I think that's my thinking time. I often go alone. I almost always go alone because it's sort of my thinking time. And, uh, and then in race mode, so I thought, oh, race mode is going to take me to like even deeper into my brain crevices. And I'm going to learn so much more about myself. And, and yeah, it, it did in some ways, in like primal ways. But, but mostly in race mode, what I think about is like, what's next? Like super present. Like I've got to, I've got, I should be eating now or I've got two hours to get to this spot before that thing closes or, um, in three days, like if I'm not here, I'm going to get killed by lightning or like all those things. Yeah. And I didn't, in, in either of those races I've done so far, did I, did I go very deep into my brain? It was all just like, like highest order <clears throat> primal fears and, and like tasks and things like that, which I thought was really interesting. That's super interesting. I, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even think of that, but if I were to put myself in that, those shoes, you, you have to be in primal mode. Yes. Yeah. 
you can't you probably are when you're racing right what you, you're not thinking about like I'm not uh, looking at the mountains or the flowers <laughs> I'm on, like okay i'm 45 minutes in i need a gel and then i'm like okay, well i haven't drank any water yet but we'll drink water okay descend fast yeah it's all consistent present planning so that's interesting yeah. the but, one exception the one exception that i is like if i if i come across someone else out there like uh like I go deep on those moments, like, but it's also kind of a presence thing. Like it's like hyper present and, and then people that you run into, at least for me out there are like a gift. And it's like, you know, I want to maximize this moment because there might not be another interaction for like a hundred miles, 24 hours or whatever. So yeah. It, but uh, I, in some ways, like I wish I could live, my normal life more like that because <laughs> like, you get home <clears throat> you got this that and the other to do and uh busy 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 and uh and that's not the case out on the trail you got one thing to do and um and then when that something different or new comes into your life for a moment or two it's like you get to appreciate a little bit more so it's one of those other things I like about being out there yeah interesting yeah you dig it dude i love it yeah <laughs> that's so cool i like it why can't i do that more when i'm here that's it yeah right like, well that's, it's life complicated yeah life is complicated but uh it's just it's so cool it's yeah it's cool what you did um it's cool what you're gonna do i'm stoked to to be talking to you with and hear your story um because yeah, you know, I, I follow you on Instagram. I see your, you know, broken crank and, you know, I know you're grateful and all that. And, but to hear your story and to, to kind of almost put myself in your shoes for a little bit, it's cool. So I appreciate you. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate you too, man. Yeah. 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 Um, no. And I'm, I'm glad Greg and Kelly could help you. Like, like I said, those guys are angels. Um, they've done more than enough for me and my family and uh they continue to help us out and to support um racing or baby or you know just anything they're, they're always there to help so it's it's cool that you met them yeah they're they're true trail angels no doubt no yeah. doubt they're the best yeah well, sweet dude um anything else you want to cover or where where can people find you um, I've got, a on Instagram, I'm, I'm at, I'm Matt, not at, I'm Matt dot Annabelle. Uh, pretty simple. Uh, I've got a little blog. It's more of just a journal I've started. So I, in the, in the past year or so, I, I'm a communications consultant by trade and, um, and I've always been kind of a jack of all trades with video and, and graphic design and, and writing copy for I, I work a lot on land water and wildlife conservation campaigns and and uh but i've always been like like if i had one word to describe what i do um what is that and then the last year i kind of gravitated towards writer and um so i started this little blog type website where i've started to write kind of it's like a lot of, about these experiences that we've been talking about um and I, I don't know where it'll go. I, I want to explore writing a little bit more kind of creatively 
in this area of my passion here now. And, and so that website is, is mofogo.org. It's M O F O G O. And that stands for move forward, go, which is my mantra out there on the trail. And, uh, I don't know. I hope I'll just keep adding to that. So that's funny. The first thing I thought of was motherfucker go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It could stand for that too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's my mantra. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, it's a mofogo.org. Mofogo.org. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to check yeah. it out for sure. Wanna, oh, I'll, cool. Thank yeah. You. Dive into more of those stories that you were talking about. But um, yeah, I want to write a book eventually. And it won't, it probably won't be like, it's not going to be like a trip report. It'll be like, uh, I don't know. Like navigating this whole conversation we've had, like uh, I don't know exactly what the idea is yet, but like uh, the title. Now, obviously, I, I don't know, but understanding Badger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't even know if it's about me. The book, yeah, it's yeah. more about like, yeah. You know, have you ever read Born to Run? Okay, or, uh, no, I've heard of it. It's yeah. on. Or there's another one about this guy that walked that did the Appalachian Trail years ago. A lot of people done the Appalachian Trail, but he wrote a book called Walk A Walk in the Woods. And I think it's sort of the idea is sort of in the vein of that, maybe. But yeah, we'll see if I ever get there. But for now I just like like living it. So <laughs> living it. Well, yeah. Matt, so so stoked to have you on. Likewise. Thank yeah. you for your time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.